Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. David Bloom back with us, founder and CEO and CTO of the Bloom Distillation Company, executive director of the International Institute for Ecological Agriculture. David is a globally renowned expert on regenerative agriculture, and he is also the author of the incredible selling book, Alcohol Can Be a Gas. David, welcome back. It's good to have you. Well, Happy New Year, George. I'm really thrilled to be back, uh, you know, rattling sabers and rattling garbage cans and making noise again. Well, it's going to be one of those years, my friend. You are looking at all kinds of different sources, water, food, energy. What's going on? Well, lots of things, uh, you know, are, are feeling the pressure of uh, of any number of uh, crises right now, but Shortages, one of the things that we can't really put up with as, as a society, and uh, energy, of course, you and I have talked about this forever. In fact, uh, you know, I would bet that you could probably have a caller call it in and guess at what was the first day we were on, but that was quite some time ago. Sure was. And uh, so when it comes to oil, of course, it's the, the basis of everything. Uh, that has to do with economy and making products. But when it comes to water, well, no one can do without that for more than two or three days. And uh, now there's over 50 countries in the world that have to import water, and we have many technologies now that threaten our water supplies. So we're working around the world in many countries to uh, help, help countries uh, not only solve their energy problems, but water and food as well, and usually they're all three connected. Are our water treatment plants around the country, most of them privately owned, are they doing the job? Well, water treatment plants, It's the question is what job are they doing if we're talking about pre-drinking treatment or are we talking about after sewage? Uh, you know, the, the after sewage issues, well, that's really interesting because for me, I don't look at sewage as a bad thing. I just look at it as surplus nutrients. Now, if you put those in a river, that's not a good thing because it's too much of a good thing. But if you're doing what we're doing, which is growing crops to make energy or fuel or protein, well, heck, if we use uh, artificial marshes and we treat that sewage by putting it through the marsh and the biology uses up the nutrients, well, now we're talking about making money on waste, which is a favorite subject of mine. All right, let's talk about uh, how we're doing as a nation right now in these various areas. Give us a, uh, a little roadmap to what we're doing. Well, you know, the, uh, a lot of people have had a lot of comfort in thinking, well, we've got all these new energy, you know, uh, supplies like fracking for oil, you know, which is, injecting water or toxic waste into the ground to force the oil up out of the ground and break up the rocks. Or, you know, maybe there's, you know, interest in all kinds of uh, new natural gas sources, we would think. Uh, You know, and people think, well, there's 100 years worth of energy there. But the reality is these unusual sources of petroleum-like energy are actually already peaking out. Uh, Tar sands is probably going to peak next year. And so we're seeing that the uh, many people have heard of the Keystone XL pipeline. The idea is that we would pump tar sands 
diluted in something like gasoline, which would come down and go to refineries in Texas, and then we'd ship the product to China, and, oh, wait a minute, we didn't get any of that oil, and yet we're transporting it across the country. So, you know, we're looking at exotic technologies like that that are quite dangerous. Um, the tar sands uh, stuff that, that's being transported uh, has spilled many times, and there's m over a million gallons that have been spilled. Like Mayflower, Arkansas, a few years ago, was buried under a couple of feet of tar when a uh, you know when uh, there was a big leak, and uh, there was also the 40, 50 people killed in Canada uh, near a train that uh, derailed up uh, in Canada because the stuff is so horrible and nasty. So anyway. Here we are getting desperate using these other things, but yet we're saying, wow, we can still drive to soccer practice and pick up the kids. Um, you know, fracking, which everybody was investing in for a while, mm -hmm. last December, last time I could get numbers for this, the fracking gas, you know, natural gas, dropped 9% in one month. In other words, they can keep drilling lots of wells, but they can't keep up because there never was much oil or gas down there where they're fracking, and we've already peaked on that or going down the other side. So you're asking what the, the landscape is, George. The thing is we've pushed off various kinds of peak energy problems for the last 10 years, but you can't do it forever. And now we're looking at uh, having delayed going to real solutions. Know, things that would really work that we could have been doing uh, all this time to prevent crises you know that are coming our way and not just us but around the world how would you grade the way things have been happening since you and I have been talking on this program David you know we've talked and we'll get into this again how we should move toward more ethanol I don't know if that's increased so what what kind of grade would you give the United States for its energy use well a grade for the United States, uh, an F would be too too severe. There's been a lot of great efforts in, in regards to electricity. You know, like there's a lot more wind power now, and there's more solar, and and so little by little those things are creeping up, but they still don't even amount to 10% of our total energy. So we haven't done very well in the last 10 or 15 years uh, in making our grid uh, m uh, more... Uh, to something that we can live with. I mean, really, you're looking at uh, coal, uh, nuclear, and then natural gas making up about 90% of, uh, of the nation's electricity. And none of those things uh, have uh, high grades in my, my grading system. So uh, I'd like to see us do things that we can spread out, you know, make... Uh, uh, non non centralized energy, distributed energy, uh, which of course solar kind of looks like, but alcohol is solar energy. Alcohol as a fuel is made from the sun uh, and carbon dioxide and water by plants. So, you know, basically, what we need to do is, as we've talked about before, is give the farmers control of our energy supply. We could easily produce enough alcohol. Uh, in and around the United States to, to uh, replace all those other forms of energy that I mentioned. It's, it's the only thing that is big enough to really make a difference. And still feed people. Yeah, and feed people better than we do now. Um, 
you know, alcohol production, when we make alcohol, what's left over at the end is everything that came from the soil. So, uh, so the only thing we take out of a plant, you know, like, say, even corn, uh, it's just the starch. Well, starch is carbon dioxide, water, and sunlight. None of those things come from the soil. So when we, when we take the liquid left over from making alcohol, well, we can do a number of things with it, but one of them is put it back into the ground as fertilizer for the next crop. Well, that's important because our fertilizer right now either comes from fossil fuels, like nitrate fertilizer, mm-hmm. which is our main one, or something that's not renewable, like phosphorus, which we mine. And when it's gone, it's gone. It's gone. So, that's right. You know, we need to start doing things where we close the cycle, where we, we borrow the fertilizer to grow an energy crop and a food crop, but the leftovers have to get back into the soil so we don't run out of these critical things. And so, uh, you know, I've given talks at the USDA and also at agricultural universities, and I'm stunned, just stunned at the lack of understanding uh, at the highest levels of what we're facing if we mishandle our farming. During the Arab oil embargo in the early 70s, we relied a lot on oil from the Middle East. We still get oil from the Middle East. But I've been told, David, and you correct me, that we are generating more oil here that we use than relying on the Middle East oil. Is that true? Mm, I, I don't think so. Uh, you know, the oil we're producing is dropping, dropping, dropping every year, not going up uh, as a total. Uh, but only a third of our oil comes from the Middle East now, where it used to be much higher. The place we get most of our oil, surprisingly enough, is Canada. Canada is the biggest source of oil for the United States, not Saudi Arabia, not Iraq, nowhere in the Middle East. It mainly comes from Canada now, and a lot of that is synthetic oil from tar sands. So really? You could say it's oil, even though it's not exactly oil, but, but it is where we get our energy for fuel now. Well, what was our reliance on Middle Eastern oil during the Arab embargo? Oh, it got pretty close to 70%. Wow. Okay. It was crazy. And, you know, it was so cheap. We're talking about $2 a barrel, you know. On the wholesale level? Uh, yeah, when you look on the spot market and when we're buying oil. So now, you know, we're, it got up over 100 and, what, 130-something right. you know, back when one of, we did one of our earlier. Where is it now? Creeping up near 80 again? No, I, well, I, you know, I haven't looked in the last couple of months, but it's the, I know it is the highest it's been for two and a half years. Yeah, it's gone up. But it's not up to 80 yet. But, you know, the point is when there's less and less, uh, you know, less and less oil every year because it was only, you know, basically the recoverable oil has been mostly, um, you know, found. We're down to, you know, finding smaller and smaller patches of it. Um, There's, you know, you and I have talked about this. There are different theories about how much oil is down and how deep it is or, or is it available. But... You know, the fact of the matter is we haven't been finding it. And if it's there, well, uh, it's not making itself known to us. So the point is, if you just look at the rate that we're using the oil we know about, we don't have very long left before um, there's going to be a serious shortage. It could be less than 10 years. It could be less than five years. And if 
as we all know, if you start running short of something, the price goes way, way up. And, uh, you know, this wonderful era we've had uh, where we haven't had to worry really much about the price of fuel, it's eventually going to come to an end. And you and I have predicted uh, a number of these price spikes in the past. Yeah, we have indeed. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.